If you would remain standing with me and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Our text this morning will be verse 1 through 8. Let's ask the Lord's blessing upon us and then we'll read scripture. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we now bow before you as your bride. Lord, we have prepared ourselves this morning to hear from you. We come with various burdens, anxieties, and difficulties. But Lord, we know that you can come and Lord, remedy those things in our lives that burden us so. And Father, we come to learn what it is and the benefits of habitual prayer, persistent prayer. And Lord, our desire is that we would be a prayerful people, that we would be a praying people, that we would be praying Christians. And so Lord, let the message this morning Build us up, let it encourage us, let it move us to a more consistent, vibrant, persistent prayer life. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. And beloved, I want to begin reading at verse one. Hear now the word of the Lord. And now he was telling them a parable to show that, a, that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, Luke chapter 18 will be our final chapter in this long study of the parables. Once I finish this chapter... I am going to move to an Old Testament book, more than likely the book of Joshua, and begin preaching out of it on Sunday mornings. That seems to be where my heart is or where the Lord has moved me, but um, nevertheless, we are almost finished with the parables, and I hope it's been a fruitful study for you. And that now when you read the parables, you will read them with new insight and with the ability to glean spiritual truths from them that would benefit your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, the parable before us 
sets before every Christian the need for persistent, habitual prayer. That's the purpose. It's stated in verse 1. This is one of the few parables that has the purpose statement clearly stated in the very beginning of it. Our Lord tells his disciples that he wants them to pray continually. At all times, he says. At all times, they ought to pray and not lose heart. And then Jesus goes on to give them a parable that would sort of fasten that statement to their hearts, if you will. The parable's design is to take and, and, and push that statement into their heart, into their mind, so that it's not quickly or easily forgotten. Now, this morning, I'm going to break up this lesson into three parts. We are going to examine the purpose of the parable just mentioned. Secondly, we're going to look at the parable itself, the parable proper and its parts. And then lastly, we will bring some application of the parable to our lives, if you will. We'll go through the benefits out of the prayer, gleaning from the parable itself, the benefits of a persistent, habitual prayer life. Well, let's look at this purpose and let's sort of put it all into perspective and context. Now, the book of Luke, uh, the, over uh, a large portion of Luke's gospel is dedicated to Jesus's travel to Jerusalem. That, that final leg of his ministry where Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem where he will be, well, mistreated, falsely accused, and crucified. And the purpose that Luke seems to have, I believe the journey begins somewhere around Luke chapter 9 and uh, we can see that in Luke 19, it sort of, it culminates there in Jerusalem. But along the way, Jesus is spending time teaching, educating his disciples, and of course, uh, confronting those who have issues and problems with him or the, his ministry and the doctrine that he teaches. Now, if you look over at chapter 17, I want you to look at verse 5. After Jesus begins to teach them where he says there in verse 1, and he said to his disciples, it's inevitable stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea then that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, say, I repent, forgive him. Notice what the disciples say in verse five. Increase our faith. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our 
faith. And then Jesus goes on to explain to them faith. If you notice in verse 8, there is another reference to faith in our text this morning. Verse 8, he says, and I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, it's important, or at least I think it's important for us to identify this part because it would be useless to talk about prayer apart from faith. Prayer is the fruit of genuine faith. True prayer is the fruit of a justifying, saving faith. Now, this is very important to the lesson because the impression that we are to receive in this lesson is that we must be praying people. That in order for us to address the times in which we live in, just like the disciples in the days that they lived in, we must be in constant prayer so that we do not lose heart. And of course, when times are good, it's certainly easier to do. But when times become challenging and difficult, particularly when days are evil, we must not shrink back in cowardice. We must be bold men and women of Christ in prayer life. We must be bold and persistent and habitual in our prayer life. Prayer is vital to the Christian life, period. It is one of the primary means of grace that a Christian must exercise if he or she is going to mature and grow up into the stature of Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus was a man of much prayer. He sought out times of prayer, and so should we. It is estimated, and it is probably true, that most of God's professing people pray very little. Pray very little. Even when they pick up scripture, they might read a chapter here and there, their favorite paragraph, their favorite parable, their favorite psalm, their favorite proverb, and maybe, maybe attach a sweet little prayer of Lord bless it, amen. And that's the extent of many, many prayers that Christians offer up. I'm not gonna go through the statistics because we don't know how accurate they are, but well, you know how much you pray. You know how little you pray. You know how you know what you pray. You know what your prayers are like. You know when you pray. You know what moves you to pray. 
You know how long you pray. And, and again, none of these things are bad or good in themselves. It's just the point that we must be a praying people. We must be habitual about it, and we must be very persistent with it. And this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples, and this is what we must be confronted with this morning. I don't think it's accidental that we have a text this morning that, can, that we should find great encouragement from, even in our day and time, when justice is hard to find. Justice is hard to find, and it's becoming harder to find. You see, justice is no longer based on a set of, well, standard rules. It's now based upon who you affiliate with or not. And for this reason, this parable should have, should carry great weight with us this morning. Now, the purpose of the parable, again, is found in not losing heart, and that idea there is to lack courage. That's, that's what the word signifies. It's, it's to lose courage. It's this idea that, the, the, that we become so oppressed that we give up our prayer life or spend very little time praying at all. We despair, and that despair is highlighted by a lack of prayer. Now, the thing to notice about prayer is not only its importance, not only its value, and not only as a means of grace, something that we are to be persistent in and habitual with, but it's, brothers and sisters, it's one of the easiest things for anyone to do. It doesn't require scholarship. You don't have to be a scholar to pray. You don't have to know the Lord's English, the King's English. You just have to talk to God. Even a person that is a mute, that cannot speak verbal, audible words can pray. You can pray openly, you can pray secretly, you can pray verbally, you can pray silently, you can pray. Prayers can be short, they can be long, they can be complex, they can be simple. But you should be praying. Prayers are a indicator of where you are as a Christian. Where you are as a Christian, your trust, your confidence in God. Do you see God as a giving father or as a harsh judge? I'm amazed that there are so many professing Christians, sweet Christians, in fact, that well tend to believe that God is more harsh and judgmental than he is fatherly and giving. And it's almost criminal to be happy in the Christian life.
Paul uses this same phrase about losing heart when he talks about the ministry there in 2 Corinthians. He talks about ministers not losing heart when they minister to difficult people and in difficult times. I mean, it can be rather burdensome and Paul encourages the minister not to lose heart. The problem, the most popular and most well-known verse that you know more than likely comes from 2 Thessalonians 3.13 where it says, do not grow weary in doing good. That's the same idea, that's the same phrase. Don't lose heart. Don't become, don't lose heart when you do good deeds and they go unappreciated. They go without notice. They go without appreciation in, 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 in uh, uh, being, you know, um, openly recognized. Do not lose heart in doing good. Don't lose heart in doing good when it looks like it doesn't matter to anyone. Paul says, don't lose heart. The idea there of falling into some form of, of cowardliness is the shrinking back of, well, whatever it is you're supposed to be doing. In this case, it's prayer. The coward shrinks back. It's, he doesn't want the confrontation. He's no longer willing to exert him or herself in the effort. They shrink back and withdraw within themselves. That's cowardly. That's the idea. That's the picture. That's the purpose that Jesus gives us this parable so that we would not fall back and shrink back when we have duties and responsibilities that we must rise up and take hold of. And in our situation, beloved, we must pray. We must pray a lot, and we must learn to pray particularly for God's movement in our communities and in this nation and in this world. We must pray for the evil one to be put down, and we must pray for evil people to be put down. And we're going to look at this. We must know how to pray, and we must pray what we know to pray. Well, let's look at this idea that Jesus gives here. The, the, the verb here, let, let me see if I can even bring a little more light to the purpose of it. This verb is in the middle voice, meaning you are not to allow yourself to lose heart. It's on you. That you have the responsibility to stir up in you fervent prayer, fervency, passion, confidence, 
a desire to see righteousness prevail. That comes from you. That comes from you seeking, knowing, and desiring God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a responsibility that each of us have. I must stir my own heart and you must stir your heart. And I'll try to do my best to stir your heart as I'm doing now. It's part of the role as a pastor to take the word of God and stir God's people up, agitate the people of God so that we're all stirred up to do right before God. And you and stir and agitate one another. Let me read to you. I, want to, I was going to put it off later in the sermon, but I want to read to you this definition of good works. Um, because this is what we're talking about here. When Jesus says, will, you know, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith? That is, well, what kind of faith will he find? Well, if it's genuine, sincere, saving faith, he will come to a people that have been praying for his coming, praying for his remedy, praying for his presence, praying for his power, praying for his intervention. Because prayer, again, is a fruit of genuine saving faith. Faith is the root system that, that digs, that, that, that grows down into this fertile soil of God's grace. And out of that nutrient, fertile ground comes this prayer life, this, this life that exhibits itself in great confidence and dependence upon God that's exhibited by a habitual prayer life. Listen to this definition. It says, good works are the action of regenerate people that come about according to the precepts of God's law out of faith that works through love for the the, the confirmation of our election and calling for the upholding of our neighbor and the glory of God. That's a beautiful definition. Now, I use that to highlight prayer. Because prayer is a fruit of saving faith. Why? Because it's the actions of regenerate people. God's not listening to the prayers of the wicked. To the prayers of the hypocrite, to the prayers of the pedophile, to the prayers of the tyrants. He's listening to the prayers of the elect, the regenerate, to those who love him. Listen, I'm going to read it again. To the actions of the regenerate people that come about according to the precepts of God's law out of faith that works through love. Love. Why do we pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because we love God and we love his ways and we love one another and we know that the best thing that I can do for my neighbor is all according to the will of God, is to perform the will of God, is to desire the will of God for you 
and for you and you and you and for everyone else. And that confirms the election and calling. That's going to affirm that, give you assurance. We may have to read it again when I get there, but let's look at the parable proper. So we have a purpose. The purpose is we are to stir ourselves up to not lose heart, to take courage. And this courage, this particular courage that Jesus is speaking of is a courage that is highlighted by persistent habitual prayer. Now let's look at the parable. How does Jesus set this picture before us? Well, he gives us a picture of a certain judge in a city. And notice in verse 2, it says, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not, us, and did not respect man. Now this is more than likely a Hebrewism, a Hebrew statement that was used during that time to really identify most of the judges that were, well, judging at that time. These judges would have been appointed by various uh, Caesars or Plutarchs or whatever the case may be, and typically they were corrupt. They were very one-sided in their judgments. Go figure. That's very similar to our own situation today. Even those that are biased politically, those who are biased uh, with, with certain movements, whether it be the, uh, the, the gay and lesbian movements, the transgender movements, or whatever movement, but not according to justice. And this judge fits that part very well. He doesn't believe in God. Even if he's Jewish, he doesn't believe in God, nor does he have any respect for those who call themselves the people of God. He doesn't care. He's indifferent to all of it. To him, it's nothing. That's the point that Jesus is making. So that's one of our characters. Let's look at verse three. Notice the second character. And there was a widow in that city and she came and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. So now we have a widow. Now the widow in the parable, not so much ours, but definitely in Jesus's day, it would have stirred up all kinds of passions to the listeners because of the status widows had in that culture. They were vulnerable. They were very, they needed protection. They needed to be watched over and looked after. They were vulnerable. They were easily to, to take advantage of and they had to be protected and there were laws structuring Israel to help to, in order that the widow would not be taken advantage of. You can go look those up in Deuteronomy and Exodus. So we already have someone here who is dependent upon help. It's a great picture of the Christian in prayer. The idea there in verse 3 is the verb is once she started coming, she wouldn't stop coming to the judge. Whatever it was that brought her case to the judge, Whatever it was, we don't know. 
When she started coming before the judge, she kept coming before the judge, demanding what? Justice. Well, she, she wasn't demanding anything sinful. All she wanted was legal protection. All she wanted was what was rightfully hers through justice. And she wasn't wrong for asking that or demanding that at all. There's nothing wrong with anyone in this country demanding from their justices justice. But like any good corrupt politician, he decided he wasn't going to favor her and did not originally rule in her favor, but that did not detour her. That didn't stop her from seeking what was rightfully hers, which was justice. And so she kept coming to this judge. And you look at verse four, for while he was unwilling, that was at first. Afterward, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. She's not going to let this go. She's going to continue, she's going to continue demanding justice. And so therefore, I've decided, this judge says, to give it to her because I don't want to be bothered with her any longer. Now, the point that Jesus is going to make in the parable is, well, if this widow can go to this wicked judge continually, and demand for justice, how much more can a righteous son and daughter of God go to God and demand justice and God grant it? Who wants to give it? That's the point. That's the point. Look at verse six. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, Will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night and will he delay long over them? Now, here's the interesting thing about this idea of justice in this parable. It's unique. He's not just talking about just fairness. He's talking, she's demanding retribution, vengeance, This word carries a passion of defense with it. I need you to come and bring retribution to the one who's trying to take advantage of me. I need you to come and defend me. That's the point that she's making. Now, brothers and sisters, we need to dwell on this a tad bit. This woman proves her righteousness as she makes use of the means given to her to bring vengeance and holy retribution to her enemies seeking to destroy her. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, turn there with me.
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect for through the grace given to me, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each measure of faith, just as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Um, Verse 19, he goes to this whole thing. He goes to this whole thing of how we should be acting, how we should treat one another. How should we be exercising our responsibilities? Now, notice what he says about vengeance. He says, never take your own revenge, verse 19, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, saith the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What is she doing? She's, go, she's exercising the means given to her in order to bring retribution upon the one seeking to do her harm. She's going through the court system, and she's demanding justice. She's seeking for God to avenge her and to bring retribution upon her enemies. That's the point that this article is making. In the Old Testament, they use this, this Greek word in the, lexica, or in the Septuagint for Moses coming to the defense of the abused Hebrew. Remember when Moses killed the Egyptian? And Moses defends this helpless Hebrew slave. That's the picture. That's the idea. That's the same word used in the Old Testament. It's defense. It's a strong defense. Look at Revelation chapter 19 and verse 2. He goes, verse one, after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bond servants on her. God comes and he comes to nations and he comes to bring judgment and retribution to those that abused his people. Justice. That's what she's talking about here. This is what she's asking for. This is the point. And what Jesus is saying is you should be like this widow who habitually went before the judge demanding justice. And this is the picture that the saints have before the throne of heaven demanding, oh God, how long will you allow this wickedness to go on? 
You know, in all of our prayers this past week, how many of us prayed for justice to be done? Maybe you know some, maybe you have a personal acquaintance with some court situation where there's been injustice, where there's been an injustice. Are you praying about that? Are you praying for God's intervention? Are you praying for God to come speedily and remedy that situation? You say, well, pastor, I did. I prayed that, well, once. And, well, pray it again and again and again. And these are the types of prayers, beloved, that we ought to be lifting up, that we ought to be fervent and habitual in, Right? That these are, this is the way that we demonstrate God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is the God who is just. God cares for the widow. He cares for those who can't care for themselves. And when they are manipulated and abused and taken advantage of, it excites his anger. But oftentimes, like we see here, what's what holds back God's movement? What holds back this movement of God's justice and retribution in the earth? What holds it back? Prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. What is God expecting out of his children? Prayer for justice. If we're not praying for justice and we're not praying for retribution and we're not praying vengeance upon those evildoers, then do we care? Do we care for our neighbors? Or do we even care that our own lives are being robbed and pillaged and ruined? Do we care? So what is it? What is it about this parable that we should take note of, that we should certainly identify in this portion of the word of God? Well, first of all, we should show our dependence upon God by being men and women of prayer. This highlighted by the widow, she had no other recourse. There was nothing else she could do but do this. What is it you can do? Pray. We're not, even when we look at our country, even when we look at how low and, and this slippery slope that we continue to just slide head first down, when we continue to look at this and we do ask the question, what can I do? It's so massive of a problem. It is so big. It is so large. Yes, it's touched all of us. Go to the grocery store. You spend a lot of your paycheck and you walk out with just a handful of items. Why is that? Tyranny. Tyranny. Abuse. Mismanagement. How can you continue to tax and tax and tax and be hundreds of trillions of dollars in debt? Well, we all know that because we don't run our households like that. You can't spend money you don't have. And it, and it go well, Right? But like this widow, we are to show our dependence upon God because it's not in a politician. It's not in a political party. It's not in how much money we can, we can gather up and, and, and sort of, you know, go fund me. It's not that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. 
But it's, that's not your confidence is in that. We show and demonstrate our confidence by gathering, praying secretly, praying privately, praying individually, and praying together corporately as a body, as a church family, calling upon God to come and bring justice to this land. So we must show our dependence upon God, and if we pray, we're doing that. Pray is an open exhibition that I'm unable to do anything in and of myself. She didn't have the strength to motivate or manipulate this judge. She had nothing but what? Persistence. Your honor, I'm still waiting on justice. I'll be back tomorrow. Your honor, I'm still waiting on justice. Give this woman what she seeks. How much more God that says, come my child, let me hear your calls. Let me hear your prayer, and I shall grant you what you seek as it's in accordance to my will. First, showing of dependence. The second thing we see in this parable is the revealing of a strong passion. She has a sense of what? Justice. That comes from the heart. That comes from her, her, her inward being. I am unmoved until I receive justice. She has this dominating desire and passion, holy passion for right, for right, for God to be honored and glorified. Why? Because God is honored and glorified when things are done well and in order and right. We have revealed in this parable that justice is a holy passion of God's people. That there's nothing wrong with holy retribution, a holy vengeance. We read from the book of Romans, let God bring his vengeance. And if your enemy asks you for a cup of water, give it to him. And that means you invite him to supper, just give him a cup of water and stand outside. Don't deprive him of the things that would hinder his life. But that doesn't mean you trust them. Because remember, they're enemies. And a true enemy will seek to do you great harm. And there have been many Christians harmed because they are not wise to these things. Brothers and sisters, it's, Part of habitual prayer must flow from holy passions in our heart. What do you care about? What, are, what is it that you care the most about? What is it that you think the most about? What is it that drives you? What is it that moves you? You say, well, I know we all hit the meal times three times a day. We're not going to miss that. And prayer ought to be very, very similar. I can't live without going to my father and praying and seeking his face in prayer. And again, sometimes it's short prayer. Sometimes there's longer prayer. Sometimes they're complex, very detailed prayer. Sometimes they are vague in one sense. You know, they're general. But it's prayer and prayer and more prayer. 
The third thing we get out of the parable, so we have a dependence upon God. We have a heart that is passionate about holy things. And then the third thing is exercising a proper means of grace. What is she doing? She's going to the judge. That's her recourse. That's, that's the recourse. That's all she has. She's making use of the civil courts. That's the only means that she has of what? Getting justice. As Christians, what should we be doing? Making use of the means of grace so that we are strong and fortified spiritually and inwardly, that we don't doubt, that we don't lack confidence, that we don't become cowards, spiritual cowards, that we are, that we become bold in our righteousness, that we become willing in our doing good to not shrink back, but to do good to our neighbors, that even, look, to seek justice for all men, for all people. That we should not ourselves fall into political partisanship just because. Our aim and our goal is to glorify God of heaven, is to live according to his word, and we are to pray and make use of all of the various means that God's given us, Bible study, Bible reading, Bible preaching. You know how vital prayer is? Did you pray this morning? God, teach me something this morning. God, open my eyes. God, open my heart. God, help Poor Pastor Stanfield, he does the best he can, but Lord, you need to help. Help me understand. Help me realize these things. Help me see my deficiencies. Lord, did you pray like that? Did you prepare yourself? Are you praying right now? Lord, help this pastor. Help me. Open my eyes. Lord, give me the passion. Give me the desire. I mean, are you praying right now for yourself, for me, for your brothers and sisters? You won't make it without it. You won't. She sought relief according to the means available, and so should you. Say, Lord, I come to the simple preaching of the gospel, but I want you to do extraordinary things with it to me. I want you to open my eyes. I want you to enlighten my heart. I want you to show me the ways in which, Lord, I need to be praying. Show me how to pray. Teach me how to pray. Remember what we, remember what we just confessed, that the whole word of God is the what? The whole paradigm of prayer. That when we read scripture and we learn what each text of scripture means, that we go and we can what? Use it as a model of prayer. And then lastly, her persistence. She had to wait. It didn't come immediately. That's hard for us in this technology that we possess that we can zip across the world in seconds. No, she had to go continually to this judge. She had to learn to wait upon the answer, and so must we. That in God's timing, 
his will be done. And so what does that mean for you in prayer? Well, brothers and sisters, you have to pray for persistence and patience. Lord, grant me the grace that if you tarry in the answer of my prayer, that I won't shrink back. I won't become a coward. I won't fall away. I won't backslide. I will pray even more and more and more. Lord, hold on to me. Don't let me backslide. Don't let these dark and lawless days affect me from going to church, affect me from loving my brothers and sisters, affect me from reading my Bible affect me from seeing good things in this world? Amen? It's hard, isn't it? Because we focus on all the negativity, but there's a lot of beauty in this world. There's a lot of beauty in this world that we will overlook if we're not looking for it. In fact, I was having a conversation this week. I think there's a lot of good coming out of this darkness. People are waking up. People are becoming more serious. People are asking the right kinds of questions, and I praise God for it. Now, it may not be in my lifetime, but you know what I'm praying? Lord, hold on to me. Hold on to this preacher. Hold on to me not to be discouraged. Hold on to me not to lose heart. Hold on to me to keep preaching the word Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, however, whenever you allow me to do it. Work in me, O Lord, to be habitual and patient until you come and the answer of that prayer. So you can see how valuable this parable is to our prayer life. Now, lastly, what are some of the benefits? What are some of the benefits? Now, I've already mentioned some and I will spend time unfolding those, but let me give you a a very important one. I know some of you have even talked to me about this, and that is assurance of salvation. Confidence that you are a child of God. When you see the fruit of prayer in your life, your desire to pray, you cultivate that fruit. It's not what it can be until you work at it and strengthen it. And make much of it. But the more you pray and the better your prayers become, and they will get better, you'll become quicker of mind and heart to talk to God. You'll be able to get right to the heart of the issue with God. Because unless, I'll forget this, we must pray particularly. What did this woman pray for? Or what did this woman beseech the judge for? Justice. Do you know what to ask for? Are you scared to ask for things particularly? You see, if how is God going to answer the prayer and build your confidence and assurance that he is your heavenly father if you don't ask him particularly? If you pray for God to move up in your heart for holy passions, and then you, be start, you start having a greater love for your neighbor. You start having a greater love for the means of grace. You start having a greater interest in love and encouragement when you see others doing well and good and, and doing holy things before God. When you start seeing justice in the earth. I mean, I tell you what, I've gotten to where when I'm reading and I come across these, these news articles where, you know, uh, this pedophile ring was put down. Man, I'm praying. I'm thanking God. I'm like, Lord, bring justice. 
And I pray for those poor victims. Oh, help them, God. Help them, God. Help them to forget what they've, learned, what they've experienced. Heal them. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be just one of those things that's obviously on my heart and mind a good bit, but there's all kinds of ways. When, when, when justice is written, I'm like, oh, praise God. Praise your name, Lord. For these men and women as judges sit in the seat of God, rendering judgments, right and wrong in the earth. Brothers and sisters, if you will follow this path of habitual, persistent prayer, you will have an increased of your assurance of salvation. Secondly, secondly, an outward exercise of this fruit. She had to go to the judge. This outward exercise of this fruit, cultivating this prayer life, will lead to an outward exhibition of the love of God. Now, I want you to let this sink in. Who do you belong to? I may be a citizen of the United States. I may reside in the state of Georgia, but I don't belong to the government of the United States. I belong to the one that purchased me with his own blood, who gave his life for me. That's my master. These are institutions that God has set up for good that have been overtaken to do evil and will wait upon the hand of the Lord for justice. An outward exercise of the love of God. Are you, see, cowards won't do that. Cowards won't do that. Thirdly, as we read in our definition, it promotes the well-being of our neighbors. I mean, I don't just want justice for myself. I want justice for you. And I want justice for my unsaved neighbor. What kind of people would we be as professing Christians to not care about justice for our neighbor? Lastly, this is how you glorify God. This is a sincere path of bringing glory to God in your life. Persistent, habitual prayer, holy passions, holy desires, outward exhibits of faith, fruit of assurance and confidence. This glorifies God. Watch him act. Watch him act. Watch him work. What does Jesus say? I tell you that he will bring justice for them quickly. Watch God work. Glorify him. This is that, that sure path, beloved. But it begins with that primary grace of prayer. May we all this morning take a greater interest in our prayer lives. Let's pray. Now, Father, we come to humble ourselves before you. Lord, we have heard you. We have read from your word the importance of persistent prayer. Lord, how it flows from genuine faith. Lord, if we don't have a prayer life, 
If our prayer life is non-existent, Lord, where's faith? Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that does not have a prayer life, Lord, would you give them life first? Would you regenerate them? Would you give them the gift of faith? Would you give them, grant them the gift of repentance? And Lord, they will then begin to pray. Oh, Father, we ask that you would move in our midst to be prayer warriors, to pray for the events going on around us, to pray for ourselves, to pray for one another, to pray, Lord, for the downtrodden, for the abused, for the, the, the ones who are taken advantage of. Lord, we pray for your justice to be done. We pray for you to act, to come to their aid and to raise up sound judges, Lord, as a means of justice in the earth. And we pray all of this in Christ's most holy name, amen.